In our study of Daniel's 70 weeks so far, we've seen that God allocated a total of 490 years on Israel's clock for the Messiah to complete the restoration of Israel. Firstly, by accomplishing his work of salvation, and secondly, by establishing his kingdom. Let's see that in Daniel 9.24, which says, 70 weeks, that's 490 years, are determined for your people, Israel, and for your holy city, Jerusalem. First, to finish the transgression. Second, to make an end of sins. Third, to make reconciliation or atonement for iniquity. Fourth, to bring in everlasting righteousness, or literally, the age of righteousness. And fifth, to seal up vision and prophecy. And sixth, to anoint the most holy place. Now, the 490 years are determined on Daniel's people Israel. In other words, the 490 years are to be measured on Israel's clock and constitute a single period of time. Daniel 9.24 describes six things that will be achieved at the end of these 490 years. We've seen that the first set of three things are a perfect description of what Jesus accomplished for our salvation through making a final atoning sacrifice for our sin. The second group of three things will be fulfilled when Jesus establishes his kingdom on earth. All these things are consistent with the 490 years being a great jubilee cycle. Jubilee years came every 49 years and were special years of divine favour where past debts were forgiven and those in servitude were set free. Men could return to their lands and repossess their inheritance. On the Day of Atonement, the Jubilee trumpets were blown throughout the land proclaiming liberty, announcing that on the basis of the atoning sacrifice it was the acceptable year of the Lord. And if they believed the Jubilee proclamation, they could go free and possess their lands. Thus, every jubilee released mercy and forgiveness for the past and grace for the future. In addition to a personal jubilee every 49 years, Israel as a nation had a national jubilee every 10 jubilee cycles or 490 years when jubilee blessings were released on the nation as a whole. The first great jubilee cycle ended with the Exodus, the next one with the dedication of Solomon's temple, the third with the decree of Artaxerxes, which started the countdown of the 70 weeks and the final 490 years. And so the 490 years of Daniel's 70 weeks constitute the next great jubilee cycle for Israel. It's therefore fitting that right at the end of these 490 years, the Messiah brought in the jubilee of jubilees through his atoning death, releasing all the blessings of salvation to mankind. Indeed, Daniel 9.24 gives a classic description of the Jubilee blessings that the Messiah will release at the climax of the 490-year countdown on the basis of his atonement. Therefore, it's appropriate that this 490-year Great Jubilee cycle should end with the death and resurrection of Christ, followed by the outpoured blessings of the new covenant in his blood. As well as jubilee blessings being released to individuals, it was the great jubilee for the nation of Israel. Therefore, God's promise to Israel, if she was in faith, was that he would give all the jubilee blessings of, nine, of Daniel 9.24 to the nation at the end of the 490 years. Therefore, God's plan was for Israel to accept the Messiah and all the blessings of the new covenant in his atoning blood, and then also to restore the messianic kingdom to Israel. If Israel had believed, the whole of Daniel 9.24 would have been fulfilled to Israel in AD 33. However, Israel rejected God's offer, and this creates a problem. How can God still fulfill his promise in Daniel 9.24 of accomplishing all things by the end of 490 years on Israel's clock? Now God foreknew what would happen, and the final verses of the prophecy reveal this. In fact, it's this problem that adds 
extra complication to this prophecy. Nevertheless, even though God knew what would happen, he still made the promise of Daniel 9.24, and he will keep it. We will shortly see what God did in relation to the nation of Israel when she rejected Christ. But first, let's note what else he did as a result of this great messianic jubilee. Having made the great atonement for our salvation, Jesus released the jubilee trumpeters to all the nations, saying, Go preach the gospel. Whoever believes in Christ will be saved. You see, the gospel is nothing more or less than the proclamation of jubilee, where we declare the final atonement has been made and that God has accepted the sacrifice of Jesus. So now he offers you, as a free gift, his forgiveness from the past and grace for the future. It's the acceptable year of the Lord. You can go free right now and reclaim your lost inheritance. We see this when Jesus preached the gospel. He claimed to be the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, a prophecy of the Messiah saying that God had sent and anointed him to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the Jubilee year. Isaiah 61 says that when the Messiah comes, he will fulfill the year of Jubilee by proclaiming the gospel or good news to the poor the poor in spirit, soul and body, that God's grace is now released upon them in every area of their lives. So all they have to do is believe and receive. When Jesus quoted Isaiah 61 and said this was now fulfilled, he was claiming to be the Messiah and that his preaching of the gospel was the fulfillment of Jubilee. Therefore, when we preach the gospel, we are God's trumpeters, proclaiming the year of Jubilee, the year of grace, the acceptable year of the Lord, based on Christ's death and resurrection. As 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, we declare, behold, now is the acceptable time, now is the day of salvation. So even though Israel rejected her Jubilee blessings, God was not thwarted, for instead he released the Jubilee blessings to the nations. So because Jesus has fulfilled the Jubilee as far as the blessings of salvation are concerned, we are now living in the year of Jubilee. However, the establishment of the kingdom requires Israel as a nation to believe in the Messiah and receive his kingdom. And this is the subject of the 70 weeks to which we must now return. We've seen that Daniel 9.25 is the starting point for this great jubilee cycle. It says, Know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. And so this decree, the starting decree, was given in 458 BC. Now since the 490 years started in 458 BC, it must have finished in AD 33, the very year the Lord Jesus died and rose again. Daniel 9.25 also gives us more detail about the outworking of the 490 years. Again, no one discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. The phrase, until Messiah the Prince, shows that the focus of the prophecy is on the coming of the Messiah to Israel, for he is the only one who can fulfill it through his atoning sacrifice. It gives the countdown to the Messiah. Remember that a week means a seven, so the 490 years, which are 70 sevens, are divided into three parts. First, seven sevens, or 49 years. Then, 62 sevens. Or 434 years. Together, this makes 49 plus 434, which is 483 years, which leaves just one seven, or seven years, to complete the 490 years.
The phrase, from the decree until the Messiah the Prince, refers to the length of time leading up to the start of the presentation of the Messiah to Israel, not to its end. For example, if I say, there are two hours until the film, I mean, there are two hours until the start of the film, not to its middle and not to its end. So the time, until Messiah the Prince, is the total time from the starting point in 458 BC to when the Messiah is first announced to Israel as being at hand, by his forerunner, John the Baptist. Now Daniel 9.25 says there will first be 49 years, followed by 434 years, making a total of 483 years until the Messiah. Therefore, the time of Messiah's presentation to Israel should start after 483 years from 458 BC. This was in AD 26, and this leaves the last seven years to run from AD 26 to AD 33. Since the time until Messiah is 483 years, the time of Messiah must be these remaining seven years. Thus there are seven final years of the 490 years that must run during which the Messiah is proclaimed to Israel as being at hand, as being present among them. This means that the 70th week was prophesied to be from AD 26 to 33. These years must close with his atoning death and resurrection at the end of the 70th week. That's according to Daniel 9.24. 483 years from the starting point in 458 BC brings us to AD 26. So this is the date predicted by the prophecy for when the Messiah begins to be presented to Israel. Then the prophecy predicts there will be seven years leading up to his death, that's AD 26 to 33, when through his atonement he will bring in the Jubilee of Jubilees, releasing the grace of God right on time at the end of the 490 years. So Messiah's presentation to Israel must start in AD 26. Amazingly, this is exactly when John came on the scene to begin to prepare the way for the Messiah, announcing that the king and kingdom were now at hand in fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 40. We know this because the New Testament fixes the year when John started his ministry. That's in Luke 3, verse 1 and 2 says, In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. It's significant that the timing of this event is emphasized far more strongly than any other event in the New Testament. Also, it's the only New Testament event directly dated to a precise year, the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. The reason for its importance is that it's the opening of Daniel's 70th week, the start of Messiah's official presentation to Israel. Now, Tiberius Caesar began ruling as co-emperor with Augustus in AD 12, and then he ruled alone from AD 14 to 37. Now, in Luke 3.1, the word used for his reign is hegemonia, better translated rulership or leadership, rather than basileia, the word usually used for a king's reign. If Luke was referring to the sole reign of Tiberius, which was from AD 14, then he would have used basileia, but by using hegemonia or rulership, he was clearly referring to when he started to co-rule with Augustus, which was in AD 12. Thus, his hegemonia began in AD 12, and so his 15th year of rulership was AD 26. Thus, John started announcing the Messiah at the very time predicted for the start of Messiah's presentation to Israel in Daniel's 70 weeks, namely AD 26. This is a key date, marking a new phase in God's plan, since it's the close of the 69th week and the opening of the ministry of Messiah when the kingdom was declared to be at hand. 
Mark 1.1 tells us that this moment, when John began his ministry as the forerunner and herald of the Messiah, this was the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The presentation of the Messiah to Israel did not start when Jesus was baptized, as many assume. All the Gospels agree in locating John's ministry as the start of Messiah's presentation to Israel through the proclamation of the Gospel. Mark 1 reads, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. When John began his ministry, history entered a new phase, for the time leading until Messiah the Prince was now over. It was now the time of Messiah the Prince. Jesus himself confirmed that John brought in the time of the Messiah in Matthew 11, verse 9 on. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you. And more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it's written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, that's before the new birth in the new covenant, there has not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven in the new covenant is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven forces itself on men's attention, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. Jesus said that John had a different and greater role than all the prophets before him, because they all prophesied until John. But John's ministry was now the fulfillment of prophecy in bringing in the time of the Messiah. We know that all the prophets look forward to the time of the Messiah. They prophesied until the Messiah. But Jesus said that they also prophesied unto John. Therefore John's ministry marked the start of the time of the Messianic ministry. All the prophets prophesied unto John, but with John something new began. His ministry was greater for it than the prophets, for it did not look forward to the time of the Messiah as with all the previous prophets, but actually ushered in this time. It signaled the start of the fulfillment of prophecy concerning Messiah's ministry. John's role is not to be underestimated. He was the official herald of the Messiah. The New Testament consistently regards John's ministry as the start of the time of Messiah. Thus the Gospels all start the story of Christ's presentation to Israel with the ministry of John, and not with the ministry of Jesus. Now it's generally accepted from the feasts in John's Gospel, and the parable of the fig tree in Luke 13, that Jesus' ministry lasted three and a half years, and therefore occupied the last half of these seven years. Therefore, John's ministry up to when he baptized Jesus must have also been three and a half years, thus dividing the 70th week into two equal parts. Now this conclusion that John's ministry was three and a half years might be a surprise to some. There's been a common and unsupported and unsupportable assumption that Luke 3 also gives the year of Jesus' baptism, as if John's ministry before Jesus' baptism was merely a matter of months. But this is unrealistic. By the time Jesus was baptized, John had become a nationally known prophet and center of controversy. Everyone throughout Israel was coming out to see and hear him, and he was under investigation by the leaders. Now this could not have happened in the space of a few months, especially in those days with no modern communications or transportation. This surely would, re would have required a few years. Nowhere are we told John ministered for just a few months, so it's strange that this idea should have taken hold. 
This thinking reflects the general lack of attention given to John's ministry and the downgrading of its unique importance. We are so keen to study the ministry of Jesus that we give little thought to John's role, and so we tend to relegate it to just a few months, thus underestimating its importance. In fact, for John to fulfill his role of preparing Israel for the appearance of Messiah, he needed enough time to get the attention of the whole nation, and especially its leaders, and for them to assimilate and judge and respond to his message. Clearly, three and a half years is a far more realistic time frame for John to be able to build a sufficient national platform to adequately prepare the way for the Lord. This is further confirmed by his connection to Elijah, as John is compared to Elijah. He came in the spirit of Elijah to fulfill Elijah's ministry of preparing Israel for the Lord's coming. As Elijah had an initial three and a half year ministry calling Israel to repentance, so it was with John. Later we'll see another confirmation of John's three and a half years in the future parallel three and a half year ministry of Elijah as one of the two witnesses in Revelation 11. Let's now continue to the next part of the prophecy in Daniel 9.26 which says, Then after the 62 weeks the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. This says the Messiah will be killed by capital punishment, but not for his own sins, but for an atonement for our sins, just as we were told in verse 24. Here we are not told exactly when he will die, simply that it will be sometime after the 62 weeks, that is, sometime in the 70th week. We've already shown that, in fact, the great atonement, releasing God's forgiveness and favor, must have taken place seven years after, that is, at the close of the 70th week, at the time of the great jubilee, at the end of the 490 years. Strangely, Daniel 9.26 passes over the 70th week to the cutting off of the Messiah at its close. The reason for this comes from the fact that the prophecy foresaw that Israel as a nation failed to enter into this messianic jubilee. This is hinted at by a double meaning in verse 26, for when it says, but not for himself, an equally good translation would be, he will have nothing, or his kingdom will be unrealized. By rejecting the Messiah, Israel rejected his kingdom, and all the jubilee blessings that went with it, so that once the acceptable year of the Lord had closed, she entered a day of vengeance, as Isaiah 61-2 warned. The messianic kingdom could not be established because of Israel's rejection of her Messiah. And as a result, the prophecy then goes on, in the rest of verse 26, to predict that Israel would come under judgment, saying, And the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city, Jerusalem, and the sanctuary, the temple, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end there will be a war. Desolations are determined. This was perfectly fulfilled in the Jewish war against Rome from AD 66 to 73, which was exactly 40 years after the 70th week, from 26 to 33. The Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in AD 70, and the war ended with the fall of Masada at Passover, AD 73. The people of the prince to come were the Roman soldiers who destroyed the temple. The prince to come is revealed in the next verse as the Antichrist, so many deduce from this from this connection, that the Antichrist must head up a revived Roman Empire. But an alternative theory says that most of these soldiers were conscripts from the nations surrounding Israel, and so the Antichrist will be the head of an Islamic Empire. Therefore, there was a, an initial seven-year judgment on Israel for rejecting the seven years of grace of Messiah's presentation to Israel.
This gives another proof that Jesus is the Messiah, for it says Messiah must come and die before the destruction of the temple, so he had to come before AD 70. And of course, there's only one candidate that fits Jesus. Hypothetically, had Israel received Christ and his jubilee grace through his atonement within the jubilee year, which ended about six months after the cross, she would have received and entered into and possessed the promised messianic kingdom. And the final three promises of Daniel 9.24 would also have been fulfilled completely. Therefore, it might seem as if the prophecy has failed. The 490 years have passed, and although the first three salvation promises of verse 24 were fulfilled through Christ's atonement, the other three kingdom promises remained unfulfilled. But God foreknew all this would happen when he made the prophecy. So there is one more verse left that shows how he will yet fulfill it. Verse 27 says, Then he, that's the prince to come, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant with many, with a majority in Israel, for one seven. That's seven years. In the middle of the seven, that's after three and a half years, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. The prophecy, you see, now jumps to a future seven years, which is clearly the 70th week, which starts with Israel submitting to the Antichrist through a covenant, allowing Israel to rebuild her temple. These seven years are clearly the tribulation, which ends with the destruction of the Antichrist. It's interesting that verse 26 and 27 describe two seven-year judgments on Israel, resulting from her rejection of Christ after his seven-year presentation to Israel. One after 40 years, the other after 2,000 years, connected by the reference to the king, prince to come. Halfway through the seven years, the Antichrist will break the covenant and stop their temple worship. Instead, he will take over the temple and declare himself to be God, setting up an idol of himself in the temple called the image of the beast, and he commands the world to worship him. We'll see that Jesus talked about this abomination of desolation in his prophecy teaching in Matthew 24. It's also called the abomination of desolation because it calls forth from God desolating judgments on his kingdom. Verse 27 tells us that the Antichrist will be brought to an end and judged at the end of these seven years. This will be at the hand of the Messiah at his second coming. Now the 70 weeks form a single unit of time which ran their course from 458 BC to 33 AD. But now God reveals there will also be a future seven years. This is another 70th week which will end when Messiah returns to destroy the Antichrist and establish his kingdom, completing the fulfillment of verse 24. How can this be? How can there be two 70th weeks? There's only one solution. God will give Israel a second chance to possess her kingdom after a 2,000 year delay due to unbelief, just as he gave her a second chance to, to possess her promised land after a 40 year delay due to unbelief. To make this possible, in AD 33, God cut Israel off for a time and stopped her clock. In the meantime, he brought in the church as his representative, so we are now on the church clock now. God also cancelled the seven years of blessing to Israel in order to rerun it at the end of the age as seven years of tribulation. This is why the original 70th week is blotted out of verse 26. In other words, God has not finished with Israel. He rewound Israel's clock by seven years so that she still has seven years left to receive Christ's atonement and kingdom. 
these seven years will run again as the tribulation, by the end of which Israel will repent and receive Jesus as her Messiah and call on him to save her. This will be the signal for him to return at the end of this 70th week and save Israel from the Antichrist and establish his kingdom and thus complete the fulfillment of the 70 weeks. We're on the church clock now. But when the church age ends at the rapture, God will graft Israel back in again as his rep representative and restart her clock for her final seven years to run. Thus God will give Israel these seven years again, but this time they're seven years of tribulation. In this way, he graciously gives Israel a second chance to receive him as her king. Therefore, the 70th week will be rerun, and these seven years are described in Daniel 9.27. Instead of seven years of blessing under the Christ, Israel will suffer seven years of tribulation under the Antichrist. In this way, God will still fulfill the prophecy of the 70 weeks, despite Israel's rejection of the king. Remember, the 490 years were measured out for Israel, and he will establish his kingdom by the end of the 70th week on Israel's clock, just as Daniel 9.24 predicted, and Israel will enjoy all the blessings of the kingdom at the end of her great jubilee cycle. A biblical precedent for the rerun of the 70th week is the story of Joseph in Genesis 41, when Pharaoh dreamed of seven fat cows followed by seven lean cows, with the lean cows eating up the fat cows. Likewise, seven ears of grain rose up and ate seven fat ears. These represented seven years of blessing followed by seven years of famine, with the seven years of blessing being eaten up by the seven years of famine. This is the picture of what happened with the 70th week. It was originally seven years of blessing to Israel, but got eaten up or replaced by the seven years of tribulation that followed. Joseph is a type of Jesus. They were both rejected by their brethren, Israel, and considered to be dead. They didn't know that he had been exalted to the right hand of power. Although they didn't know Joseph in the seven years of blessing, they did come to him in the seven years of famine, and they were reconciled to him. Likewise, the greater than Joseph, Jesus, will reveal himself to his brethren in the tribulation. Another precedent is Jacob, twice working seven years for Rachel. So, the origin of the tribulation is that it's the rerun of Daniel's 70th week. Because Israel rejected the first seven years of blessing, they will have to face seven years of tribulation. This explains why the tribulation lasts seven years, and is divided into two halves, just like the original 70th week, with the second half, the Great Tribulation, being an intensification of the first half. That's why there are many other parallels between these two 70th weeks. Daniel's 70 weeks also demonstrates a number of our keys to Bible prophecy such as the offer and postponement of the kingdom to Israel, resulting in the insertion of the mystery church age, before the kingdom is again offered to Israel after another seven-year preparatory time.